Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May of 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast. On the left. That's when the cannibalism started. What was that? You know what's one thing Jody Arias never had to really deal with? Um, a living boyfriend? I was trying. (laughs) (laughs) She dealt with a living boyfriend for about five months. Okay. I went on the trampoline yesterday. <laughs> you did, yep, huh? to just try to just to, you know get some movement going. Are you getting into extreme trampolining? I it's, there's nothing extreme about it. I would say it's mundane trampolining, and I need not only do I need a front bra uh-huh. because my tits slap up and down and when I go on the hurt. trampoline. It yeah. hurts. It hurts. It yeah. makes audible slapping noises <laughs> that it sounds like I'm washing a seal in the backyard. <laughs> But now my back titties slap. Because really? you know, when you have full on front titties that wrap around to side titties that go all the way to back titties, it comes from the grateful gifts I was given from losing weight. Yes, from and your Polish Jesus. So now I have a curtain of titty meat that goes front to back that all jumps up and down. And uh-huh. in that way, shape, or form, I've had it worse. Uh-huh. Than a woman normally does, and just I, like you, Jody Arias. Wow, you know what, Henry? You're brave for doing what you did. Thank you. Welcome to the last podcast on the left, everyone. I am Ben with Big Titted Henry and Marcus Parks, who has no boobs at all, none whatsoever. It's flat up there. I mean, I'm talking negative A's. Negative A's yeah. indeed. He's a real carpenter's dream. Yes, he is. <laughs> I would lay that carpet. I don't know. I just uh, mean he's a very capable apprentice. Yes, Thank indeed you. he is. Well, speaking of capable, we are on to part two of Jody Arias, and I just have to do this. It's the age of Jody Arias. Age of Jody Arias. Arias. That was in my head all night last night, so that's what I contributed to the show today. Great work, man. You don't need to do research. <laughs> no, as bizarre as Jody Arias's behavior was before and during the murder of Travis Alexander, the weirdness of this story didn't truly begin until after Travis was killed and the hunt for justice began. I do like the way that you've said she stabbed this man 30 times and then shot him in the head and you're like, bizarre. 
<laughs> like that is, you know what? Sometimes when I'm mid stabbing my ex boyfriend, I'm just like, I'm being so bizarre. This is just, <laughs> I am so bizarre. This is so not me right now. <laughs> this right here, this is just wow. This wow. Is bizarre. Now, we don't really have any idea where Jody Arias went or what she was doing immediately after the murder of Travis Alexander because her phone was turned off the entire time she was in Arizona. Most likely, Jody was finding a choice spot somewhere in the desert to hide both the knife used to stab Travis mm. and the gun used to shoot him because neither murder weapon has ever been recovered. She spent, obviously, a significant amount of time hiding these weapons. Yeah. I don't know if you don't need to spend, I don't know if you need to spend that much time if you're in the middle of the Arizona desert, oh. but she definitely did. She definitely, because she was gone. Um, for hours, immediately, she was on the road. Anytime you're driving into Arizona and you're like, oh, that's right, better turn off my phone, you're always hiding a murder weapon. Mm -hmm. Every single time. What we do know, however, is that six hours after murdering Travis Alexander, Jody Arias turned her phone back on 27 miles south of the Nevada border, and the first thing she did was call Travis's phone to leave a voice message. And this is that yeah. message. I know Leslie called you, so I already talked to her, so uh, you can call her back if you want, but it's not necessary. Um, my phone died, so I wasn't getting back to anybody. Um, and what else? Oh, and I drove 100 miles in the wrong direction. Over 100 miles, thank you very much. So yeah, remember New Mexico? <clears throat> it was a lot like that. Only you weren't here to prevent me from going into the three digits, so fun, fun. Tell you all about that later. Um, also, we were talking about, <clears throat> when we were talking about your upcoming travels my way, I was looking at the May calendar, duh, so I'm all confused. Um, but Heather and I are going to see Othello on July 1st, and we would love for you to co accompany us. Um, I don't know when Team Freedom's event is, though, but, you know, it's on the list, so we could do, um, we could do Shakespeare, Crater Lake, and the coast, so if you, make, if you can make it. If not, we'll just do the coast in uh, Crater Lake. But let me know, and I will talk to you soon. Bye. She just stabbed him 30 times, shot him in the head, and slit his throat. And she spent a good amount of time composing herself enough right. to leave this voicemail message acting as if shit was totally chill. Yeah, but what she suggested was worse than death. It was, what are you going to do? You're going to go see Shakespeare in the park with Jody like, Arias and just, with some other random ass chick? Uh, why you stab me fucking 30 times and then shoot me in the head and then slit my throat? I'd rather do that. No, only <laughs> sarcastic. I need a sarcasm font. The only good thing about that story is that he didn't have to do any of those things she suggested. What a nightmare. Now, she obviously wasn't in denial about what had happened because the entire murder had been planned so meticulously from the theft of her grandfather's gun to the action of bringing gas cans from california in order to avoid detection instead jody was covering her tracks by making it appear as if she didn't know that travis was dead to the point where she's essentially inviting his corpse to go to a shakespeare festival weekend at bernie's just got a little bit more boring <laughs> this is like such an overreaction on her part she's like i'm planning all of these things you can tell she knows it's all bullshit she was also trying to establish an alibi, saying that her phone had died and she'd lost the charger. Wouldn't you know it, she'd goofed and driven 100 miles in the wrong direction on her way to the prepaid legal conference in Salt Lake City. I mean, you're right. She's over-explaining everything. everything. Who Has anyone ever driven 100 miles in the wrong direction? This is still, there's modern, modern technology still back then, right? She had to shut off her iPhone to uh, get lost. Well, this is 2008. I don't know. Did she have an iPhone? I think she... She I might think not she have. might have had a flip. I think she had like a Nokia brick. Yeah, well, she she's might a cool have. chick. 
In other words, Jody was so arrogant about her ability to deceive others that she thought investigators would listen to this message, think, oh man, she obviously had nothing to do with this, and just let her go free. <laughs> She's like, wow, wow, this voicemail is incredible. This is really good. This is one of the better voicemails I've ever heard. But speaking of Salt Lake City, by the time Jody turned her phone back on, she was 24 hours late to a meeting with her new boyfriend, Ryan Burns, in the City of Mormons at the prepaid legal conference. Which, as far as everyone in her life was concerned, that was the reason why she'd left California that week. Everyone thought, oh, Jody's going to Salt Lake City, she's fucking this new guy. Sure. And the guy expected her there on June 4th, but when he was expecting her there was the time that she was fucking Travis Alexander in anticipation of later killing him. And Ryan Burns' his entire deal is just being like, I don't know why it took her so long, but... You know, I just figure girls. Like that's that was <laughs> him on, on a little bit. She's putting on makeup. I don't know what she's doing, but I was just sitting here waiting for it. You know, because their text exchanges back and forth were starting to edge into the sexual. But right. I found a website that had all of Jody Arias's correspondence, text, and email via Tr- Travis Alexander and other people just in a row, like in a timeline. Uh-huh. And during this time period, she started planting the seeds with Ryan, and then the I think the words that he, he used were, when you get here, make sure you don't play hard to get. <laughs> when she'd roll into town. So she had been setting all of this up, but Ryan Burns didn't know that he was just an alibi. After she turned her phone back on, she called up Ryan and gave him the same excuse concerning the dead phone in the wrong direction, and Ryan, presumably under the same spell that Travis had fallen under, said, fine. Just make it here when you can. Got that coochie fever. He's got coochie <laughs> fever indeed. But to be fair, uh, well, not to be fair in any which way, but she does have a nice voice. She has a wonderful voice, and we'll see that she has an absolutely beautiful singing voice. Oh. It's it's fine. I wouldn't say she's like Adele. <laughs> I don't know. You know what I mean? She's Again, not an Henry. incredible find. It's not like I'd hear Jody Arias singing at the gas station like they did with Tony Braxton. In context of her being a murderer. Again, you're she right. She's a 10, and when it comes to singing, I'm sure she's uh, making a lot of her fellow inmates happy nowadays, just mm-hmm. singing random lullabies to them. Herbert Mullen was a good singer. No kidding. Meanwhile, Travis Alexander's body was still tucked away in his own shower, waiting to be discovered. Although that discovery would take a ridiculous amount of time, considering the fact that two other dudes also lived there. Two of the thickest boys (laughs) to ever play Call of Duty lived in that apartment with him and did not look at the blood, didn't look at any, because I, I have not found any documentation that said that they were in and out of that apartment. They obviously weren't there the night that he was murdered because right. he was murdered and because he was screaming, right? So, and God knows what he was doing and the gunshot, no, unless they were just straight up had their fucking cans on and just were deep into cuphead, but while looking yeah. at porn on their phone at the same time, just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds like Travis is choking on something, but yeah. Yeah. he's not, he's not knocking or anything. So. No. Well, it's not like they didn't notice something was amiss. I mean, the day after the murder, Travis's roommate Enrique came home to find the house locked, which was unusual for Travis. He never locked his front door. This is fucking Mesa, Arizona. So, Enrique used the keypad code for the garage and saw Travis's car was there. Despite the fact that Travis was supposed to have gone to Cancun and there was obviously no life whatsoever in the house. Some might say it was eerily quiet. Hmm. Yeah, you know. But then then you're like, fuck yeah, I could jerk off in the living room. (laughs) 
<laughs> as soon as you see every mouth, huh? I don't know where Travis is. It smells like pennies in here. Oh, well. Huh. I guess you won't miss any of these Doritos. <laughs> oh, my. Bad roommates. Furthermore, Enrique also noticed that Travis's beloved and ever-present Choose the Right Ring, which reminded Travis that sex was naughty, had been left on the kitchen counter. Travis never left his stupid ring behind. Oh, my goodness. It's kind of amazing that which we'll find is that he did remove that ring whenever he had sex with Jody, as if yeah. he thought that that was like the Sauron eye of God. And that was the <laughs> only thing that could tell the world that he was having anal sex with not even his wife. And then we've got, we had received several emails that said no Mormon truly believes in the Catholic carve out, but there's a, <laughs> the other thing I, ca- I heard was that Mormons do call it the poophole loophole. <laughs> Well, that's that's a fun place to be. But despite all these red flags, Enrique just shrugged, said, ain't my business, and just went about his day. Yep. Technically, he's a great roommate. <laughs> the power of the roommate to not get involved Don't in a murder involved. trial. Because they know, on some level, I think a roommate, all roommates that you barely understand what they do for a living, they have on a cellular level an understanding of like, I really feel like if I ask a single question, I might, like, a lawyer or a cop, might speak to me, and then they'll know, like, I'm high. You got things to do. You got to go to Cancun yourself. You they'll, can't spend all this time at trial. They'll fucking know I'm high, dude. They know I'm holding, dude. They will know you're high. Well, that's not to say nobody noticed Travis's sudden disappearance, because he was on the books for a big prepaid legal conference call the day after his murder. But while friends showed concern at his absence, they still didn't check in on Travis physically. T-Dog was just left, man. Well, I mean, the the sad thing is that, like, one of his friends was actually texting him all night. I mean, like, you better be dead, dude. You missed a big fucking call, bro. And he felt real bad about that after. Yeah, yeah. he should have. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Meanwhile, Jody had arrived at the apartment of Ryan Burns in Salt Lake City. And had sex with him less than 24 hours after murdering Travis. I don't know what everybody's saying. Jody's pretty chill. I think she's pretty cool. <laughs> pretty cool chick. However, Ryan did notice a couple of odd things about Jody upon her arrival. She didn't act differently in any way whatsoever. She was still the same old Jody. But Jody had just dyed her hair brown. Whereas the last time he'd seen her, she'd been a blonde. A switch that again points towards premeditation. And speaking of premeditation, on her way to Salt Lake City, Jody had been stopped by a cop because the license plate on her rental car was upside down, which meant that Jody probably switched plates with someone while she'd been in Arizona and had switched back to the originals, either in the dark or in a hurry. I have a weird analysis weird. point. My question is, is that did she try to hide with the license plate or was this a deeper fabrication because she told Ryan a part of the reason why because she kept having to build her excuses as to why she was late meeting Ryan Mm -hmm. I think what could also possibly be is that she purposely flipped the license plate upside down and after she made up this lie saying that she got pulled over saying that her license plate was upside down I think it's possibly that too where she then thought of this in genius plan because she does this like five or six times yeah she has these plans that are dumb shit they're dumb stupid shit. they're absolutely right. stupid. but she you can tell she thinks it's the she thinks it's the smartest fucking thing that anyone could ever do i mean flipping the uh flip flipping the old license plate upside down that's kind of a unique 
approach yeah, or a it, reason to be late, I guess, a, a strange excuse. Yeah, it's like a thing that doesn't happen ever. Like it's a made up <laughs> thing. It's a thing that why the hell would that happen? Who do you know if it's good? It's difficult to hang it upside down. Some, yeah. some cars have different nuts, bolts on the tops of the license plate for you to flip it upside down. Yeah, she said that it was a prank that a bunch of teenagers had pulled. Oh, it's horseshit. That's a funny prank. <laughs> that's just horseshit. That's a funny prank because when you're a teenager, you flip the uh, you flip the license plate upside down and you look at it. <laughs> and you're like, look at that. I got that one. That is an upside down license plate. This is so fun. Another nice night in Mesa. <laughs> Additionally, Jody's hands were covered in bandages and little cuts, huh. which Jody said she got at the restaurant where she worked, but were in fact the types of self-inflicted wounds most people have when they stab another person repeatedly that doesn't want to be stabbed. Now remember, a big part of Jody's trip to Salt Lake City was the prepaid legal conference, which meant that there were plenty of people in attendance who knew Travis and still believed that he was alive. Travis was a big name in prepaid legal. Of course. This, I think, was all a part of her plan, because she probably expected Travis's body to be found quickly. And if that were to happen while she was at the conference, she would not only have been the center of attention, but she would also have plenty of people who would bond with her grief and later become defenders should she need them. Ah. Uh, yeah. But it didn't happen that way. Instead... Jody had to spend the whole conference pretending Travis was alive, telling a mutual friend that even though she and Travis were no longer together, they would always be friends. Oh, I mean, I guess they can still be friends. Well, this came from, <laughs> if you read their deeper correspondence, they, I mean, talk about horseshit, because Travis Alexander to everybody else, pretended Jody and him were done, done, done. Right. They, were, they didn't even have contact anymore. Meanwhile, you look at these long-winded emails that they both send back and forth talking about the moments they shared and how much love and, and how like he's never come so hard in his life. And that's why he, when he's with her, he shoots massive loads wow. because he, <laughs> everything that she does turns him on. I mean, meanwhile, she's saying stuff like, I do sort of understand that when I was your girlfriend, you didn't want to refer to me your, as your girlfriend because you just wanted to appear as a motivational speaker, as a single available man, and that I understand. But now, I need you to claim me as your friend. I need you to tell your friends that we are friends and stop not acknowledging me and not tagging me in pictures on Facebook. It, it turns well, into Well, you do want to tag her in pictures on Facebook because then the world knows that you guys are buddies. She does not... <laughs> <laughs> but he did not want that because he was both afraid of her and deeply sexually still involved with her, even though they were supposed to not be talking anymore. So she shows up now as this new thing. Be like, Well, Travis and I were talking over the weekend. Meanwhile, it, she just killed him. Yeah. And they are all being like, okay, Jody, I thought you and Travis were like broken up and stuff. She's like, yes, but our story is a mythical tale of two souls that fly together, not together in hand in hand, but together in a trip like birds that fly together in a flock. And you're just like, it's amazing. She's keeping all this together, though. She's I mean, a psychopath. She's a, yeah. She's well, a she's a straight, psycho, but yeah. Straight up sociopath. It just doesn't fucking register with her. Okay. Well, after the conference was over, Jody went back to Eureka and stopped by her parents' house to tell them that she was most likely gonna leave town. When they asked why, she said, quote, Because I might be blamed for something. 
That's really ominous and scary that you said that, Jody. Like, what do you think you'll be blamed for having a license plate upside down? I was looking at this Mormon, <laughs> this Mormon reading that said something along the lines of, "If thou doth smelt him, then thou doth dealt him." So you, you're you're saying that you farted and you have to leave. I just can't deal with the shame of my poo-poo flakes being up in your nostrils, mummy. Everybody farts. It's okay. She wouldn't tell them. You know, she said this cryptic shit, and when they asked, like, well, what might you be blamed for? She'd go, I don't want to talk about it. She also was supposed to have, she had very little contact with her parents to begin with. Yeah. And they both were, they had a very chilly relationship on the whole. So she was just almost like, in my mind, now I've just been so I've been so deep in the mind of Jodi Arias the last like five days, like just watching her speak on the stand, that you can kind of see this sort of minor aggression towards her parents. Because to yeah. everybody else, she was calling Travis's parents, being like, "I don't know where he is," and like out of going out of her way to text Travis's friends, being like, "Have you seen Travis?" And then, but to her parents, she was like, "I don't know what the fuck's gonna happen to me, and you're gonna have to <laughs> deal with it." And then she, they just Woo. leaves. Meanwhile, because it's like another thing, like she did it to hurt them too. Yeah. It is tough being a parent because what are you going to do when you act? I mean, seriously, what yeah. do you do when you have a psychopath kid? What do you do? Like that just sucks. I don't know. It's very scary. I don't know. They didn't help, but they also. They didn't hurt. What did they, What were they going to do? I was talking Your about this. Your kid's just a crazy person. I was talking about this with Natalie. It's like when it gets down to it, it's like you can have mental health issues and you can deal with stuff and be beaten and do this stuff and none of it is an excuse to stab somebody 30 times. Definitely so, not. Yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Good grief. Well, at this point, the oh fuck reality might have begun to set in. Because while Jody had done pretty good in covering her tracks before the murder, her follow through after the murder was surprisingly lazy. It was very half ass. For example, when she returned the Ford Focus she'd rented to drive to Mesa and kill Travis, the agent who took the car back in, a man named Rafael Colombo. Oh, Ooh. hello, <laughs> sir. Noted, he noticed that the floor mats were missing, and the front and back seats were stained with what appeared to be, in his words, red juice. Called another sample of the power of denial, where he's just like, oh, must be some kind of red juice on yeah, this. Of yeah, course. This is juice. Well, this is not many, evidence. This is just juice. Juice isn't an evidence. Well, you know, every time we're on our road trips, how we need all of the red juice, how we always get stop and get red juice, and we drink it, and then sometimes you spill a little bit, you know? How Everyone many times? Because the only proper way to drink red juice is to pour it 12 inches above your mouth and try to catch it. <laughs> yeah. Nothing better than road clamato. <laughs> I mean, she could have gone to a Pet Boys and replaced the floor mats. She could have done a much better job of cleaning out the red juice. You know, she was very lazy with it. Interesting. Meanwhile, as Jody was returning the rental 36 hours after the murder, Travis Alexander's body was still undiscovered. Oh, my goodness. Although, to be fair, the stench of decomposition had not quite gotten strong enough to make it through the double doors of Travis's master bedroom. You know, at some point, the roommates are are to blame here. I mean, they are just... I mean, not that they could have saved him or anything, but... No, I mean... It's a lot of time. It's the power of denial. It's very, very powerful. And all this time, Jody was still sending texts to Travis's phone and sending emails asking why she hadn't heard back from him, while continuing to make crazy threats by telling him she was planning to sleep in his bed at his home during his upcoming trip 
to Cancun. You see samples of the way she must have spoken to him in the, like when she turns cute because she sends an email, again, after stabbing him 30 times, shooting him in the head and slitting his throat. She sends an email joking about, she's like, huh, well, you know, maybe when you're gone in Cancun, which I understand you're going with, you, you're just doing a trip on you, just you having you time, that I understand. Maybe I'll just go in through the doggy door again and make myself some brownies and sleep in your bed. JK, winky face, winky face. Well, he's having the ultimate alone time. He's dead. Yep. This is horrible. <laughs> I just can't believe that, like, if you're Travis and you, like, let's say there is an afterlife, you're like, you're still fucking yelling at me? <laughs> like you, you are still yelling at me. You yeah. stabbed me. Yeah, leave me but, alone. By Monday, though, the smell had finally made its way through the double doors, and yet the roommates still shrugged and said, "Not my problem. Not my problem." <laughs> Don't. All right. I mean, not everyone knows the smell of death. I feel like it. It, it is like a rotting. Stench. Yeah, can, I think, it does get to a point where you might want to ask questions, but still, you never know if we left like a bag of taquitos in there or something. You know right. what's going on in a man's room. Well, it wasn't until Mimi, the woman Travis had kind of sort of been dating, went with a mutual friend to finally check on him that they found the body oh. five days after the murder. What five days? He five days. Not to be too gross here, but he must have been like kind of a puddle. It looked real bad. Well, that was a part of what fucked up the whole, like, how did he die? It was that like he was sitting in a pool of water for five days, just rotting and all Whoa. folded up, right? Like, he was all smashed yeah. in the center of this of the shower stall. And when they finally found him, I mean, then they realized it was this massive crime scene that they just ignored. Yeah, that's... <laughs> I mean, honestly, we're not, you know, we don't see each other all the time, but I would like to think... Five days, guys. You going to leave me rotten for five days? <laughs> I'd be looking for you for five days, but mostly it'd be like, where are our shows, Kissel? Like, that's the problem. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the problem. Now, of course, the interviews started immediately. And when investigators began asking Travis's friends and family who might have done this, every single one of them joined a resounding chorus that said over and over again, Jody Arias. Me? No, no. Uh, Detective Shitnips over here. Uh, I've seen her beaver. There's no way she's guilty. That beaver's an innocent beaver if you ask me. But at the very least, one friend did give Jody the benefit of the doubt and called her to tell her that Travis had been murdered. I would love to hear Jody just be like, what? 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 You hear it several times. You can. She does this act. Many times until she finally morphs into the Travis abused me storyline. Ah. Well, finally, Jody was able to unleash the performance that she'd been keeping secret. She sobbed and sobbed and called every mutual friend they had to make sure everyone knew how distraught she was about the whole thing. I think that this is the moment she was waiting for. I think that there is a... I don't know what you diagnose her as having, and they, they no one agrees as to what her deal is, what her bullshit is. But there's a narcissistic stripe that yeah. shows that she was excited for the reveal almost, which mm. is why I think she stopped being as meticulous about her cover-up story because then it started becoming, when's it going to be about me? When's it going to be about me? When's it going to be about me? I've been waiting to tell everybody this story, this quiet mm. story. At first, right. first, just being the ultimate victim, right? Of being like, what am I? Now the whole world is going to ask about our relationship 
Like, mm-hmm. literally, I can tell everybody now about the drama of Jody and Travis right. with the fucking camera in my face. I can't wait to tell everybody what great friends we were. What Jody didn't know, though, is that when she was calling all of her friends individually, the cops were circulating through that same friend circle to inquire about Travis's relationship with Jody. In fact, one group of friends, all gathered in grief, got a call from Jody at the exact moment they were telling police that they thought she was probably the one who'd killed Travis. Damn. Now, the crime scene the cops found was obviously fucking brutal, because while Jody had taken great care to clean the blood from Travis's body, she didn't really clean anything else. The sink was spattered with blood. There were pools of blood on the floor where Travis stumbled after being stabbed in the back. There was a big pool where his throat was slit and blood was smeared all over the tile floor of the bathroom and down the length of two separate walls. No, that's just, it's red juice. juice. We were doing, (laughs) we had Clamato Wednesday where we have virgin Clamatos. The only acceptable reason to interrupt a podcast, your dog. That was your dog saying thank you for BarkBox. You can take a minute now. You bet your dog. But you're going to learn about Bark. It's the company dedicated to making dogs happy. Yay. Every month, BarkBox decides and delivers a whole new collection of toys and treats just for your best bud. No, Wendy, I can't get you a whip. You're too cute for weapons. Every treat is made with yummy, healthy, all-natural ingredients like pumpkin and sweet potato. Mmm, tubers. My dogs love their toys selectively. But BarkBox sends good little ones for the little tiny mouths. They have little mouths, but strong, big spirits. So they fight over the little toys. I imagine they think that they are hunting and going after little bugs and rats and oh they love their life and they love the they love what bark box brings because bark box brings the bark and puts it in a box yep to get your free upgrade go to barkbox.com slash l-e-f-t my sister is the best gift giver i've ever met of any person it's jackie zabrowski she shops all year thinking about her family, and friends, and puts little things aside for their birthdays and Christmases. I have no idea how she does it. I don't know how she do it. But guess what? She always wins Mother's Day, but not this year. I'm coming back. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? I'm taking the crown. All right, give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. I mean this. We have the Aura frame up in my home. We absolutely love it. I can put photos on it very, very easily through the app. It's fun to do. And the memories keep cycling and I get emotional and we filled it with pictures of Carmi and Wendy. And that is not sad. That is celebratory. So you should try it. It's honestly a really good product. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code LEFT at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, 
you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse picks over various country borders, I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Arius also left behind a mountain of physical evidence, including the 25 caliber shell casing from the fatal gunshot, plenty of hair, and a big old fingerprint right in the middle of one of the blood stains on the wall. It's it might she might have she might as well have signed like Jody was here in his blood <laughs> because right. it was a full handprint was just on the wall. But despite all this, Jody went full steam ahead with her plan, thinking that if she played the role of the grieving lover all too willing to help with the investigation, the cops would be so beguiled they'd never consider her as a suspect. She did a press conference the day that she was, she did a self-declared press conference the day she was arrested that is wild to see. This is, and it's going to start a precedent. That every single step of this trial, she calls her own personal press conference, which the media was very happily, very happy to apply to. Right. And she walked in front of these cameras because this is first wave. Innocent Jody. She doesn't have bangs yet. And I think the bangs are part of her own physical cover up. I do believe the hair has got a lot to do with her physical and mental state. Sure. Yeah. And so she starts telling this story of. I was, I'm just bushwhacked. I'm bushwhacked about <laughs> this bushwhacked? whole scenario. Interesting. Well, uh, ma'am, we've actually seen your beaver. We know you're not bushwhacked. <laughs> oh, man. What I bring to the show. Yeah, yeah, A maturity. Sure. A maturity. <laughs> so while the cops were still doing their initial investigation, before she was even arrested, she called the Mesa PD multiple times wanting to speak with a detective in charge of the case a one detective Esteban Flores. When he finally took her call, she used things that she'd done herself, like the slashing of Travis's tires, as evidence that someone else was out to get Travis. Ah. At this point, Jody was already the main suspect, but Detective Flores humored her a bit and asked her who she thought might have killed Travis. Some kind of Asian. (laughs) Some kind of Asian. But they looked... Asian. I still don't know the reference. <laughs> cable guy. Ah, cable, cable guy. guy. That's bad right. movie. Funny scene. Should have been the, Chris Farley though. Yep. Should have been. Yeah. The best Jody could come up with, as far as suspects went, was a couple of former roommates who had been kicked out of Travis's house for allegedly quote 
preying on Mormon women. Good and vague. Jody also swore up and down that she hadn't been anywhere near Mesa, Arizona on June 4th, although she had no confirmable alibi for where she might have been other than the vague plans to fuck Ryan Burns in Salt Lake City and the same old story about driving 100 miles in the wrong direction. Watching the interrogation, it's all on YouTube. That's the one of the more interesting parts about doing a modern crime is that all of this shit's on YouTube. Right. So you watch her. If you watch the six hours of interrogation, you watch her track all of this bullshit. And the way that she is, she, she first lays out her story with the 100-mile detour and all this bullshit, and the cop is still just sitting there just being like, you know you still left out like... 18 hours, right? There's like <laughs> right. 18 hours of time. And she's like, let's do that math again. We should do the math again. And then she does, she goes through the whole story again. And he's like, yep, 18 hours is missing in this story. <laughs> Plus there's a butt print and a bunch of red juice on the wall in this bathroom. I got to say this, ma'am, this is an illegal amount of juice. Yes, it <laughs> is. You're just going to have to, unfortunately, we're going to have to arrest you just on juice possession alone. My goodness. <laughs> Now, police had not yet matched Jody's prints to those found at the scene because Jody had no arrest record. But they did suspect her based on the fact that she was the first and only person anyone had brought up when it came to suspects. In fact, Detective Flores even brought this up to Jody during their initial conversations, telling her that every friend of Travis's had nothing but the worst shit to say about her. And to this, she simply said, okay, and forged ahead. Yo, but also Detective Flores is throwing these people under the bus. He's ratting out all these folks. This is a dangerous ass bitch. And they're like, also, people are talking bad about you, Jody. She's going to go kill everybody. He knew that she wasn't going anywhere. Like she, he, she wasn't going fucking anywhere. He was going to get. They, they already knew at the yeah. very top that she had done it. And so this whole story, and you can see the okay is a thing that she does time and time again, where it's this whole, like, you're an idiot. Mm-hmm. Like, that's how she says, okay. She goes like, okay. And you just want to be like, I am, uh, I could see almost why, this is why your parents called the cops on you for growing weed on the roof. It's that, it's that, <laughs> okay. I kind of like her a little bit. It's kind of fun. She's, she's spicy. <laughs> she, she, you're going to get killed by a woman, man. <laughs> However, while Flores was trying to figure out the best way to get Jody's fingerprints, the game got a hell of a lot easier when police discovered Travis's digital camera in the washing machine. They found it while they had her. Now, at first, the cops figured the camera was useless because it had gone through the wash. But since Travis had spent a little bit of money on the toy... The chamber that held the memory card was waterproof. As you know, say you were to drop the camera in the lake, you wouldn't yeah. lose all the pictures that you'd already taken. Well, I remember that commercial for that camera where it's like, murdered your boyfriend, you know? <laughs> Don't pictures of the entire sequence yeah. of events? <laughs> Don't this one worry. Will, this one will keep the evidence. <laughs> now, Jody did think to delete the photos, but one wonders why she chose to very suspiciously throw the camera in the washing machine with the bloody towels that she used to clean off Travis's body where someone was sure to find it instead of just taking it or just leaving it be. It's strange because she took the murder weapons to Mesa. Why wouldn't she just take everything? I mean, let's not forget Casey Anthony is free because she used Firefox instead of Internet Explorer to Google murder methods just before killing her daughter. She's free because cops didn't know the difference between Firefox and Internet Explorer and they didn't think to check the fucking 
browsing history on Firefox. So it's not a stretch to think investigators in 2008 wouldn't give more than a cursory glance to a digital camera if it wasn't in a suspicious place. Narcissists have a way of doing magical thinking. So in my mind, I believe on some cellular level, Jody Arias thought that if I continue my line of thinking, all reality will bend to my line of thinking. So in some right. ways, her haphazard covering up the, the crime, it's, it is, it is sud- unconsciously, it is a way to be caught, like we see with serial killers all the time, mm. where there's a little bit of, I want people to know the story. Also, there's just a straight-up carelessness where you're wrapping up all the shit, right. and you're just like, fuck it, fuck this, because in the end, I'll make this up. I'll, we'll shoot it fucking live. We'll shoot it live. <laughs> right. you're like, I once I'm fucking in the captain's chair of this whole fucking case, once they finally put the spotlight on me, everyone's going to believe me. I'm going to set this whole thing straight. Right. But regardless of Jody's motivations, the fact remains that putting the camera in the wash with the bloody towels raised gigantic red flags for investigators. So they dug in deep, recovered the photos that Jody had deleted, and got a real good look at Jody's butthole. <laughs> Whoa! He really did. It is. My goodness. You don't need binoculars. Wow, look at <laughs> you that. Get, you look right in there. I, I literally, you see a little pin light where I think her mouth is. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> uh, even if the camera hadn't kept going off while the murder was happening, these photos were incriminating because they proved that Jody had lied about being in Mesa on the day of the murder. But even without the pictures, based on the physical evidence alone, there still would have been enough evidence to prosecute and convict Jody Arias. If I'm Jody Arias's defense attorney, I'm saying that's not her butthole. And then I have to say, Jody, get on the stand. Show us your butthole. Well, you'll notice she has a vertical butthole. And what we have here is a round butthole. Unfortunately, her defense attorney, Kirk Nurmi, Wormy Nurmi, as they called him in the press, he wrote in his book trapped with Miss Arius, uh-huh. is that he actually wanted the jury to see the nude pictures, and she was pushing back and did not want anybody to see the nude pictures, but he wanted to show these pictures of your butthole are what shows the world that you didn't want these pictures of your butthole taken, but actually <laughs> it's the opposite, because it's real easy to hide your butthole, because yeah. you could do it with pants. Sure, you can. Yeah. There's a whole man- You could do it with a pillow, you could do it with a scarf, <laughs> you could do it with a potion stamp. Literally could just cover just the butthole if you want. Anything will cover a butthole. You can just see the one juror just coming in with a twelve with a with a twelve pack and a bunch of KFC chicken. Be like, "This is a butthole day. <laughs> this is a butthole day. This is a great day to be a juror." Good work, everybody. We made it number one day in jurors' history. I don't know what it is, man, but I just think she's not guilty. <laughs> well, at the time, Jody didn't know the cops had any of this yet. And she even attended the memorial of the man she killed. Oh, my God. That must have been so uncomfortable for everyone. It's just such a, it's a perfect, I mean, it's just a perfect situation for her. She gets to show up in like a black veil. Mm -hmm. You know, you know that she, it was her just going, I just, I'm just beside myself. Could possibly happen. Meanwhile, everyone's like probably keeping six feet from her. Oh, yeah. All looking at her. (laughs) Meanwhile, she's going to Travis's body being like, why? Why? And just kissing his dead lips. Be like, one more. 
Oh. One more before he goes to heaven to see Moroni. Yeah. All right. Well, finally, he has his own planet now. That's the only thing he ever wanted. <laughs> I hope he does. Even I hope no, he I, does. I don't know if he'll get one for how much space exploration he did. <laughs> to my butthole. To your butthole. Great. After the memorial was over and done with, though, Jody was called in to Mesa PD and was asked to give fingerprints after, I don't know this for sure, but she was probably told like, hey, you are Travis's lover. Your fingerprints are all over this bedroom, so we need your fingerprints in order to eliminate your fingerprints because we need uh, to make sure you're not guilty, lady. Of- well, that's what she offered in the interrogation. She's like, I've lived in there for months, and I go in there all the time. My DNA should be all over that house, as if she was very... Excited oh. how much her DNA he had. And she probably thought about that during their relationship while he was alive. She's like, at least some of my hairs are there. And once those fingerprints were matched to the one found smack dab in the middle of the bloody palm print in Travis's bathroom hallway, Jody Arias was arrested and charged 22 days after the murder. Okay. Now, during the investigation, Flores went hard on Jody asking her to tell the same story she told before about driving 100 miles in the wrong direction. And she did, except when she saw he wasn't buying it, she abruptly said, quote, Did I tell you I got stranded? It's just fucking boom. When she saw that he, the wheels were turning in his head, when he started talking, I was like, yeah, there's like 18 hours missing. She's like, oh, I got, I got stranded. I, I forgot to tell you I got stranded for 18 You hours. forgot to tell me you were stranded for 18 hours. <laughs> It was crazy. You I just forgot a, that? I was up a tree. I was in a nest. You were in a nest. For a period of time, yes, I was acting as if I was a bird, but that was to not to disturb the other birds. Okay, so what were you eating? How did you stay alive? Digested worms. You were eating worms I in, let a, myself in a be nest. Fed. I was stranded. You were stranded in a nest eating worms for 18 hours. And some of those little birds were saying that they had a plan to murder Travis, my <laughs> beloved boyfriend. In rebuttal, Detective Flores first brought up the fingerprint Jody had left, but she said that her fingerprints were probably in the bathroom because that's where she gave Travis's pug Napoleon a bath. So of course, of course her fingerprints are everywhere. Then Flores told her that he had absolute proof that she was there, to which Jody said, no, you don't. And that's when Detective Flores showed Jody a (gasps) photograph of her own butthole. Timestamp June 4th. That's good. That's a, that's a heavy time because she did. Damn. I didn't know you had butthole footage. If you would have told me you had butthole footage, I would have changed this entire story. She does this. It's an, it's a very interesting acting job because he's like, what if I told you I had pictures that you were there? And she's like, uh, that is something that I wouldn't necessarily believe that you would have. And he's like, well, let me just say, let me just show you some pictures. Show one picture yes. of just Travis. And she's like, that's Travis. And she's just like, yes, so. And she's like, and this is another picture of Travis. This is a picture of you nude in pigtails, right. front, f- face forward. And she was like, "That wow, that looks like me. Yeah. She said that, that, which is an interesting defense. And then he's like, and then there's this picture. And he shows and we'll a picture it- of her own butthole and vagina. And he and she just looks at it and she goes, wow. We'll call this exhibit A and B for ass and butthole. Thank you, Kissel. <laughs> <laughs> well, at one point she started sobbing. And she said, like, if Travis were here today, he'd tell you that that's not my butthole. That's it's somebody a- else's butthole. <laughs> Travis is- would tell you. He'd tell you. It is never a good day when you're in court crying, looking at a picture of your own butthole. That's like one of those where it's like, how did I get here? 
I wonder what happened. I wonder like, what happened. How did I end up in court crying, looking at my own butthole? She also does this move that we'll see in the trial as well, where she puts her head, her forehead on the table with her hands covering her forehead, making crying noises, only yeah. to emerge and see no tears there. Oh my God. You see this again and again, that she does this move where she doesn't want, she goes... <laughs> <laughs> and then she gets up and looks forward and just see no tears, just like oh straight goodness. face. Instead of owning up, Jody claimed that someone had to have switched the memory cards or Travis had to have been sleeping with a woman who looked exactly like me or you cops have probably photoshopped my face on someone else's body. And it's like, lady, do you know how cops work? They are very lazy. <laughs> yes, that is not happening. You photoshopped my face on somebody else's butthole, and I know it. <laughs> <laughs> but Forrest, he wasn't budging either. And he told Jody that, hey, this is pretty much the most amount of evidence I've ever had on a murder case <laughs> in all the years on the force. Oh, my God. Eventually, Jody accepted she was being arrested, but instead of asking for a lawyer, she said, I know it's really shallow to ask, but would it be possible if I could clean myself up before I take my mugshot? Well, First you want to have a nice mugshot, I guess. She knew she was going to be famous, I well, suppose. I, 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 it's weird, though, because if this was any other story, it might not have been... It, she saw an opportunity to become famous. It's almost the opposite, where if she had not done all the flagrant behavior that she she will continue to do throughout all of this trial, this might just be another blip. Like, if she had just been kind of like a quote-unquote normal inmate, but that first mugshot of her smiling, clear-faced... That's creepy. It's weird. Well, I, I think it's very telling that uh, when she was able to make her first phone call, she called her parents. She didn't ask for a lawyer. The first thing she did was to ask her parents to Google her name. Wow. When Flores told her, like, no, you can't go and clean yourself up. I'll be right back. He left the room. She was still concerned about her image and could barely be heard on tape talking to herself, saying, quote, you should have at least done your makeup, Jody. Gosh. Yeah, Jody, you should have. You look fucking ugly as shit. Who are you? <laughs> Who's speaking to me? I'm Travis. <laughs> Travis. All right, well, let me give you a mouth hug and you'll feel all better. That's what she called it all the time in text. Mouth hugs? Come over and I'll give you a mouth hug. <laughs> Yuck. And with any luck, you'll take a picture of my butthole. I mean, honestly, consenting adults can take as many pictures of their buttholes as they want. No, it's the, mur it. the murder is the problem, Henry. Yep. <laughs> and then, while waiting for Flores to come back, she absentmindedly played with the water bottle on the table in front of her and started singing a Dido song. That is freaking horrifying. That is like the scariest damn thing I have ever heard in my life. 
It's fucking awful. Like she's and she's just playing with this water bottle. Like she turns very childlike in this moment. Can you imagine being Dido though? This is why no one should ever create anything. Because at some point, it's just going to be sung by a lunatic. It reminds me of, uh, what was it, Chapman, of course, with Mr. Lennon. Oh, like, yeah, 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 yeah. But that's, you know, again, it's inspiring. Yeah, but that, but I mean, if you'll remember, it wasn't Lennon that had to deal with that stink. It was Todd Rundgren. Yeah, Rundgren, Rundgren. that's right. <laughs> well, after a couple of minutes of sitting in silence, Jody started farting around the room like a little kid doing a handstand against the wall for 30 seconds after she rummaged through the garbage can behind her. Wow. Then she spent a little while smelling her hair before singing again, this time going for a Christmas carol in June. You know, it does kind of put you in the Christmas spirit, though, doesn't it? It does. (laughs) There's something about the childlike aspect of her personality because it shows that in her mind a little bit all of this was going to be cleared up yeah this was mm-hmm. just her hanging out she, they're going to go in and say you obviously didn't do this you're too cute right you Literally, sing too well you <laughs> are just there's no way a little girl would ever do this she was playing on this concept in my mind yeah and that now she's left to her own devices and we kind of see this sort of like a kid waiting for her parents to fucking come out of the store like that bullshit, like this kind of childlike time-killing activity that it's a defense mechanism. It's obviously Mm -hmm. her showing being like, I don't care because I'm obviously not guilty of this crime and no one's going to pin this on me. I wonder if she knew she was on, what, I guess, closed-circuit television. Did she, was this performative? Or was this like, do you think she would have done this with a camera or without a camera? I don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure. Because you have to know you're being monitored in there. There has to be a camera. I mean, you have to be able to see it. On some level, yes. I mean, I I feel like we know because we've watched a lot of security cam footage, but I don't think that she necessarily knew. So it's that's why it's interesting. Right. Because it seems like she's doing this. I think she might not have known. Yeah, I don't think she did. This was something else. This is an interior thing where she it was self-calming. The song the song the singing was self-calming right. activity and then the rest of it was just to show how little she was concerned with yeah. what was happening. Now after all of this evidence was presented to Jody, it became very obvious that she'd need a story that placed her at the scene but absolved her of responsibility. If she, of course, she wanted to avoid the death penalty, because this is fucking Arizona after all. Right. So this is going to be a tricky tale she'll have to spin here. So when Detective Flores brought her in again almost three weeks later, she'd had plenty of time to think of another story. And in the tradition of Casey Anthony, this one was a cinematic whopper on par with the most cliche of crime dramas. She said that what had actually happened was that she had taken a 400-mile detour on her way to the prepaid legal conference in Salt Lake City to see Travis after he called begging for her to come. Sure. And she also added, like, I declined at first, but he was so insistent, 
that I ended up relenting and going. And then you look at the text and it was just her being like, I can always pop in and see you in Mesa. And Travis was like, nah, cool if you don't. Like, it's like, are you like, like, don't, like, don't come. She said she showed up in Mesa at 4 a.m. and slept until 1 p.m., at which point they had sex and took all the nude photos. At around 5, Jody said she suggested taking more pictures of Travis in the shower, but after she started, he wanted to stop because, in his words, quote, I feel gay. And that's Wait. why that's why he let, that was her explanation for why because he looked like he did in the shower. That look that's on his face that we talked about right. last episode is because he said that he felt gay. Meanwhile, was it because think, she was he was staring at her butthole? I mean, <laughs> I just don't really understand it because you just had sex with the lady. That's the opposite. Well, he probably didn't say that. No, he definitely didn't say that <laughs> because it doesn't make any sense. But as Jody was telling Detective Flores the story, she suddenly stopped, put her hand over her mouth. And wept. And here's where the doozy begins. (laughs) She said that she was looking through the photos she'd taken of Travis in the shower when she heard a bang just before she was knocked to the floor. She then looked over at Travis and saw that he was bleeding from a gunshot wound to the head. And when she turned around, she saw a man and a woman wearing ski masks, gloves, and long sleeve black shirts. She said she got up and tried running for the closet to hide. But the man with the gun grabbed her and held the gun to her head while the woman walked over to Travis and stabbed him over and over and over again. Now, of course, Jody couldn't help but make herself the tiniest bit of a hero in her own story. So she said she broke free from the dude somehow, ran down the hallway, and charged the woman so hard the assailant was knocked off her feet. She said she then grabbed Travis's arm and started pulling him up so they could run. Come on, Travis, let's go, let's go. But Travis told her, I can't feel my legs, I can't feel my legs. And at that point, the devious duo reappeared. And when the woman went to stab Jody, the man stopped her, saying, quote, That's not why we're here. He then grabbed her purse, found her ID, and supposedly said, quote, You're that bitch from California. If you ever say anything about this, we'll do your family the same way. He then told her to leave, so she grabbed her purse and fled without calling the police or any of Travis's friends. Oh, just in time to make it to the prepaid legal. She said <laughs> specifically that it was like The Sopranos, which seems to me, in my mind, Means that's where she got the idea from. Yeah, it sounds like it. (laughs) There was one attorney that talked about the story symbolically. There is an almost Jungian unconscious level to this story where she projected two versions of her personality Mm -hmm. into reality. That she told this, uh, an allegory over her own inner struggle as she was murdering Travis and she projected it, which is why it why it allowed her to have what she believed to be a semblance of truth telling behind her own voice. Where mm-hmm. so that like we're true like pathological liars. There is a weird emotional center to the lie that right. you're saying because you indeed felt the push and pull of those two ninjas that you have created in your mind. <laughs> right. You have created Well that ideas. happens all the time in Mesa. There was a massive <laughs> spat of ninja home invasions. I remember that. Bravo! 
Boy, Texas Pete is a sauce that allows you to sauce like you mean it. It's what people gather around, it's generosity in its simplest form, and it's a swagger people have who know what's good. Each Texas Pete hot sauce is packed with bold, balanced flavor. This signature tanginess is what makes it a legendary hot sauce that can be used on just about anything. It's been at the center of dinner table since 1929 and is still heating things up today. You're definitely going to want to try every flavor. The original hot sauce has a famous secret blend of fermented peppers. The hotter hot sauce is three times hotter than the original, and not for the faint of heart. Sabor by Texas Pete adds authentic Mexican flavor, and their dust-dry seasoning matches the flavor of the original hot sauce and a flavorful dry rub. Tell you what, the other day I was having myself a good old refried bean burrito, and I wanted a little bit of kick to my morning, so I got myself some cha, Texas Pete sriracha sauce, and I smothered those refried beans and that cheese and them eggs and a whole bunch of cha, and it started off my day correct. Texas Pete, sauce like you mean it. Visit TexasPete.com and use the store locator to find Texas Pete products as well as purchase sauces and get recipe inspiration. And use the promo code PODCAST. 24 for 20% off at texaspeat.com. Every day, I fight to set my child up for success, which is why, as I sit and read Carmi and Wendy Dune, trying to explain to them the concepts of the savior complex not working, doubling back on itself, the concept of what does it mean to be a living God? What are those limitations, what are those expectations? And honestly, I know they just want chicken. But there are kids out there that need this type of direct help. And IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language, arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them understand and master topics in a fun way. Not unlike me, reading children, Dune Messiah getting to about 365, seeing where they're at, see if they understand anything. There's no more grading these worksheets. IXL grades everything itself. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. You can't even believe it! You don't want to make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And last podcast in the left listeners could get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash left. Visit IXL.com slash left to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Hey, did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. That's one of my favorite things about it. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. Now, personally, I'm in the middle of re-landscaping my yard. I like to do it myself because I called up a landscaper to see how much it costs and it was absolutely insane. Plus, I love dirt. I love getting my hands in the dirt and I love planting things myself and fast growing trees 
has given me some wonderful plants that I can use. Like I got this uh, Texas sage, it's purple. I've dug up a whole bunch of horrible bushes and shrubs up in front of my window and in front of my house and put some purple Texas sage up there and it's going to thrive and it's going to look real good. Now I don't even have to go to a nursery to buy it. It came to my house. Now, this spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEFT at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code LEFT at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code LEFT. Offers valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Now, besides the fact that all of this negates even the simplest of Jody's alibis, including the eerily calm voicemail message left that night and the emails <sighs> and the texts that she sent in the days that followed, it was also totally implausible. It was a hmm. stupid fucking story. Yes. yes, it was. But Jody stuck with it for about two years and even wrote an 18-page letter to Travis's poor old Mormon grandmother Aww. outlining both her relationship to Travis and his brutal murder at the hands of two mysterious acquaintances. P.S. Here's a picture of my butthole. <laughs> oh, this is wonderful. The last time I saw my butthole, I was falling down the stairs. Oh. <laughs> Jody, we're going to see, is a bit of a propaganda minister. Of her mm-hmm. own stories. And this starts, she kind of has this sort of culture war, to use Civ 6 metaphors. She's using radiating culture to get other people, trying to convert people to her side. But in the letter, she added a couple of dramatic details, saying that actually, the man had pulled the trigger when the gun was to my head, but it misfired. And actually, the woman had stomped on my bare feet, but I heroically ignored it. Soon after her arrest, though, Jody found herself to be, as she figured she would be, the next hot American crime story in a country that was about to reignite its love of true crime after it sort of got burnt out on the whole thing after O.J. Simpson. Mm. Now, I didn't realize this, but while both murders occurred in 2008, Jody Arias actually murdered Travis Alexander six months before Casey Anthony murdered her daughter. And if you want to look for the beginning of the current national true crime boom, I think you have no further to look than these two cases coming right together. Absolutely. Nancy Grace's involvement in both, her her inability to say the word digital. (laughs) How many times she says the digital pictures. (laughs) That's a cute little way to say it, though. Immediately, Jody tried controlling the narrative concerning the story by doing as many television interviews as she could, which is a defense lawyer's absolute worst nightmare. Yeah, according to Wormy Nermy, that was the first thing he just stood when he was staking her out before meeting her for the first time. It's like he could tell that she started doing these TV interviews obviously against all advice. Right. And so he's like, oh, this is going to be a, a person that is difficult to work with. What about uh, shielding yourself with fame? Where it's like you make yourself famous and then... You know, I mean, it, we'll see. It worked for Casey Anthony, yeah, exactly. but it, doesn't, it does not work in this case. But Casey Anthony never gave an interview. No, Casey Anthony was technically more devious. Hmm. Yeah. Casey Anthony was technically a lot smarter, and that's why she got off. Oh, my goodness. And no pictures of her butthole. None that I can find. (laughs) No. Hustler was going to pay her. And I've been scouring and scouring and scouring and scouring. (laughs) She never said yes to the Hustler deal. They were going to give her 500K to show her butthole. She didn't do it. Well, and all you do is pee on your ankles. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, in Aries's first interview, she maintained her innocence while slowly chipping away at Travis's credibility. Because after all, if every single one of Travis's friends say that Jody's an awful obsessive psychopath, then she had no choice but to counter with the claim that Travis had secretly been a terrible person the whole time. For example, she didn't mention the intruders at all in her first interview. Instead, over a terribly boring 20 minutes, she talked about her relationship with Travis, his obsession with her, and how much she loved photography. She is such a boring fucking person. God but damn. you also see that it was before she thought the cameras were on, asking for makeup again. Yeah. Doing the thing where being like, can I freshen up? And they brought her makeup and they filmed the whole thing as she's laughing and smiling. And this is before she even tells the first round of the story. This is her just being like, Travis was just, he just had so much blood that I think some of it just popped out of it. It just popped out. <laughs> yeah. But the next interview was with Inside Edition, the first big national piece on the crime. And Jody went all in when it came to the intruder story, which we can hear in a thankfully edited version of her tale. What really happened in there? In a nutshell, two people took Travis's life, two monsters. You did not shoot Travis. No, I've never even shot a real gun. You did not stab him 27 I've never, times. No, that's, that's heinous. Or I've never. slit his throat from ear to ear. I can't imagine slitting anyone's throat. No jury is going to convict me. Why not? Because I'm innocent. And you can mark my words on that one. No jury will convict me. Yikes. <laughs> if you ever have to utter the sentence, I did not, I did not slit his throat. I did not slit it ear to ear. It's like something went wrong. So, yeah. I don't know if you did or you didn't, but something went horribly wrong in your life. Now, Jody's main adversary during the trial was tiny attorney Juan Martinez. He's not that oh, tiny. He just can't wear a proper suit. It's just everyone keeps wow. calling him tiny attorney. It's the whole thing. But it's just he's got a, his suit does not fit well. That'll make yeah. him look like a tiny attorney. Uh, it's really nice here. As you can tell, my defense attorney, Dorf, on lawyers. <laughs> oh, a little Dorf. Conway, well, Tim Conway. Well, Juan Martinez, he was, I don't know, he had an extremely high convention, conviction rate. I mean, he had 300 cases under his belt, and he won the majority of them. He's That's a what, very aggressive prosecutor, and he very. was known for being very, very aggressive. Okay. Maybe something to do with the fact that everybody called, kept calling him tiny. <laughs> so that's why he's got extra irate. It it's seems to scary. happen to smaller people. As far as who Jody's attorney was, she was saddled with the unfortunately named Kirk Nurmi, a tall and rotund public defender who was court-ordered to represent Arius even after he had quit because he was starting his own private practice. He was trying to get out of this case for a long time. Yeah. According to him, he was trying to get out of this case for a long time. Uh, but I, and I don't know why. It, it, it's it like a nightmare. It, it was at the very beginning because he didn't realize how high profile it was going to be. According to him in the book, it, it started as this like run-of-the-mill thing. And then he watched the Inside Edition and he was like, Oh no! This right. is actually going to be very difficult. I want the, uh, if you're a defense attorney out there, side stories lpotl at gmail.com, What do you do when you know the person you're defending is guilty? He says in his book, "This is the first time I really saw the defense attorneys on the other side." Correct me if I'm wrong, defense attorneys that are listeners. But he said when you are when you get handed a capital trial, that in on his purview and his the, what they were talking about from in terms of the the state, the goal for the defense is just to save. 
the defendant's life. Okay. That they are just trying to not get her killed on the electric chair. And so Mm. they're looking for a first degree murder. They know that they are more often than not, they're going to be convicted of the crime that they're up against, but they're just trying to keep them from the chair. Sure. Now, around the time that Jody's upcoming trial started getting national attention, an ex-boyfriend named Matt McCartney came bounding out of the past to either take another shot at love or to capitalize on Jody's newfound fame. I'm here, Jody, and also, here's a dove! Whoa! <laughs> you brought this all the way through security? Existing in Jody's life between the gas station vampire and the 40-year-old chain-smoking alcoholic, Matt McCartney was a practicing magician who became <laughs> Jody's most ardent supporter, of which there were many. And when I say practicing magician, I mean like chaos magician. He did rituals and all that sort of shit. Oh, yeah. He was the gas station vampire's roommate, and when they moved... Uh, and then when they moved to a different town and Jody moved with them, she started dating Matt McCartney, which, of course, the gas station vampire didn't like. And you no. know, the whole thing blew up. Oh, my goodness. What but a fight. You could see how she traded one drama for the next where she was just kind of got like a little too sophisticated for Matt McCartney and this other guy. Because now she's like dating this big, upwardly mobile dude over at Prepaid Legal Absolutely. who's a motivational speaker. And she's the one. She'd already decided that's my husband. These mm. were her two. Because she had her own little legion of fuckboys as well. Uh-huh. Not as thorough as Travis. Because you'll find out. That through the throughout this whole t- conversation, well, after they had broken up, Travis was sexting with like four people. It wasn't just her. Right. She kept shit pretty tight, but she'd use them piece by piece. She would use them as her little collection of ghouls. I mean, there's nothing more motivational than being a vampire gas station worker than being a <laughs> gas station vampire. That man's very motivational in his own way. But think about it. Gas station vampire, and then you have a, a, a technically convenience store magician. Yeah. Next door. The, it's one roommate. That's, all, that's the whole fucking strip mall version of Fantasia. Sounds like a fun town to me. Now, concerning Jody's supporters, she wasn't getting much traction or support with the intruder story. And besides, I'm willing to bet that Kirk Nurmi pointed out the numerous holes in Jody's first narrative that would have easily sunk the whole case as soon as it went to trial. So, Jody changed tact completely, admitting that she had, in fact, killed Travis Alexander, but had done so because Travis was supposedly a physically and sexually abusive Mormon monster. Oh. She said the reason why she kept her involvement in the murder a secret for two years was because she loved Travis and she'd invented the intruder story to protect his reputation as a nice Mormon boy. Oh my God, thank you so much. That's so sweet of you to do that. <laughs> she. It is interesting to see her tactics change with him because Kirk Nurmi was, they were talking about, because that is the truth, because their first meeting was like, Wormy Nurmi was like, this is all bullshit. And she's right. just like, no, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then they had to piece together this other story because then Kirk Nurmi, for some reason in the book, hits her with this kind of, he, he looked at her and he said, you appear to be a textbook victim of sexual assault. He had this whole thing where we're going to start building this story of right. what your parents did to abuse you. Like right? what Casey Anthony did with her parents. Yes, and we're going to start with the parents because he's heard the whole story, but then she's like, but actually maybe it's because Travis used to have me too. 
and he's, and he's, he's now he's like, okay, that's something I can maybe work with here. Right, yeah. sure. So once Jody decided to further destroy a man, even after she'd killed him, the smear campaign began. In the summer of 2010, two years after the murder and two years before the trial, Kirk Nermy received an anonymous email full of handwritten letters supposedly in Travis's hand. These letters, supposedly sent both to Jody and other people, were presented as Travis's confessions to what else but pedophilia, physical abuse, and sexual deviance, conveniently outlined in the clearest manner possible. Could have done without that. You know Thank you. About- You've already stabbed me 30 times. You know what I've noticed about pedophiles, too, that are Mormons and are like deeply like have a whole business establishment and all based upon their sure. reputation? They always like to put it in writing. Always <laughs> like it. They really like to tell everybody explicitly all of their uh-huh. most dirty fantasies and why and openly. And they love to send letters to their parents and mm. to their supposedly like adoptive Mormon parents yeah, about it no, as well. Pedophiles don't hide in the dark. They and, really don't. No, no. no they're, they're very, very proud. About, they brag about it. <laughs> yeah. In the Jody letters, Travis allegedly owned up to hitting her in the face and asking her to wear little boy's briefs during sex. All while saying that he believed that marrying Jody was the only way to erase his deviant urges. It's truthfully, I mean, dog meat, you can talk shit about this all the time, but that's the ultimate way to stop being a pedophile is to marry a woman. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) But Jody wasn't the only recipient of these so-called confessions. Travis also supposedly sent letters to Chris and Sky Hughes, who had originally been host to Jody and Travis's relationship, to tell them that he could easily molest Chris and Sky's child. You always brag. You, you always do that. Because that's how it is, being like, your kid, let me tell you this, your kid wants to be molested so bad, I might as well have just come over there with a little stool for him to get up to my dick. Wow. And you're like, whoa, why are we, why, are, why did you send this? Thanks for the letter. Now, the individual words were taken from Travis's old journals that Jody had stolen at an earlier date. And a handwriting expert surmised that Jody had meticulously cut out and rearranged the words to make Travis sound like a pedophilic sexual monster. And this is a part of, to this day, a very deep world of Kajodi Arius conspiracy theories that say that the Mormon-run cops are the reason why these letters were not allowed to be introduced to the court, nor as evidence. But if you look at it, they had two reasons why not to believe it. Number one, they found a sample of Travis's hand handwriting in Jody's cell and examples of her trying to copy his handwriting over and over again. And again, this also came from a series of goons that Jody had the way to describe it. It's really strange. She used to get magazines from the commissary and then write secret messages in the, the like next to the articles. Like she'd write these like little bits of words that would formulate a sentence as you flip through the magazine. Okay. And she'd send it out through jail to various Mostly men that had crushes on her from jail and watching her on the news. So we're writing letters and saying, like, how can I help? What can I do? And they're like, she organized all of this shit uh-huh. from within jail, like the fucking godfather. Send it to people come and put false evidence into play from the outside. Damn. All right. She's fucking cold. Yeah, actually, we do have... One of those messages that she sent out that was put together out of, what, five or six, maybe seven different magazines. This was to Matt McCartney. This was to her ex-boyfriend. You fucked up. 
What you told my attorney the next day directly contradicts what I've been saying for over a year. Get down here ASAP, see me before you talk to them again, and before you testify so we can fix this. Interview was excellent. Must talk ASAP. <laughs> oh my Bye. God. Bye. She, but, I mean, there's no way that she would talk to Matt without being um, recorded, right? Yeah. Because she would be doing this in jail. Yeah, man. Does she know all of this? It's weird. Again, it's a... I'm going to use the term, Robert Anton Wilson term, reality tunnel. She is in a tunnel of this. She believes that no matter what, as long as she feels validated on the inside of why she, because she's always like, she's in this mental game. She's trying to figure out how can I feel okay with the shit that I did and what's going on. I have to validate it deep inside so hard that I believe my own bullshit. So right. in a way, all of this stuff is almost done, I want to say like it's almost like automatic writing, where it's so deeply compartmentalized that she just is doing this shit. It's like the right hand's doing all of this shit and pumping it out while the, the left hand and her face are doing all this other bullshit that right. are saying the opposite. And this isn't the only weird shit that was going on while Jody was in prison waiting for trial. Remember, all this happened in Mesa, Arizona, and back in 2010, Mesa was still under the rule of the infamous fascist Sheriff Joe Arpaio, uh, who, yuck. as we all know, Joe loved making a splash when it came to the treatment of inmates. Yes, he did. Now, most of the time, Joe kept it to just plain torture, forcing inmates and undocumented immigrants to live in tents in 130-degree heat in between forced chained marches through the desert wearing nothing but pink underwear and flip-flops. But when it came to Christmas 2010 and a high-profile inmate, Arpaio tried the other end of the spectacle spectrum and dressed up his detention officers as a bunch of Santa Clauses and organized a talent show with the female prisoners that had a top prize of a turkey dinner and a stocking full of presents. That's a pretty sweet top prize, to be fair. I mean, I want a turkey dinner. <laughs> yeah, turkey dinner, very good. Tryptophan's a lie, by the way. It doesn't make you tired. I mean, tryptophan's not a lie. The idea that it makes you tired is a lie. Yeah, I think it's about the amount of food that you eat on Thanksgiving is what makes you tired. It's all the whiskey. When it was all said and done, Jody Arias had beaten 50 other inmates by singing the same song she'd sung in the interrogation room when she was first faced with all the evidence that she had, in fact, murdered Travis Alexander. And the whole thing was caught on tape. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared. You can just see the judges turn around in their chair, just be like, I think, I think you're it. Bow. 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 That's a no for me, dog. <laughs> All right. Get out of here. Wow. Shut up. Shut up. Get out. I thought you were going to do the butthole trick. You're just singing? Okay. Honestly, it would be incredible if she had bent over in front of the microphone singing the song and then if her butthole moved to the words of a holy night because it would be really fun. It plays on the word holy as well. <laughs> She's getting punny with it. That's not sexual. That's a pun joke. That's satire. <laughs> and when the trial first got raring to go, Jody tried, like many narcissists do, to represent herself. But her complete lack of experience meant that she was stuck with Wormy Nermy, and he was stuck with her. He hated 
working with Jody Arias. I'm the way sure. he spoke about it. I mean, who knows at the time? Because he said the first thing that she tried to do, her first tactic was to be flirty with him, right? And what we know about Casey Anthony is that Casey Anthony said had the same track with her defense attorney, but it worked. She really was seducing him. And that's the reason why, I think it's also part of the reason why she got off because he was working really hard to try to <laughs> see the chooch. Because he needed to see the chooch and he would do anything possible. Right. But Kirk Nurmi, he hated all this shit. But one chapter of this book, again, don't read the book. There are three, he wrote three books. Each one is 300 pages long. And in one chapter, he talks about digging up and trying to find all of the people that Jody was sending messages through through magazines. And then it goes into this par. He's like, but that's not the only story about Las Vegas I have. I was getting close with a particular co-worker named Jennifer, who was married, but she never invited her husband along on trips, and I tell you, I took that as a message. So Jennifer, she actually invited me to go to an Air Supply concert, uh-huh. and I'll tell oh, you really? this, Air Supply is one of, those, one of those bands that people, no one will admit to being a fan of, but I tell you what, you go to see one of those concerts, and you're transported to a place that only Air Supply can take you to. And, I was there, and it's this long breakdown of how great Air Supply is, and how far Jennifer was, but Jennifer was married, and him and Jennifer could never even though she was sending him signals or he thought she was sending him signals but now he knows that they are happily married and he needed to look on himself and wonder why he was looking for signals from a married woman absolutely wormy nermy happy you put that in a book about jody arias (laughs) (laughs) when the trial finally got started four years after the murder it became obvious that both the defense and the prosecution were going to make sex a central piece of their argument For the prosecution, this was about good sex gone bad, a tale of revenge, jealousy, and obsession that ended in murder. Murder, murder. For the defense, it was about an easily manipulated poor little girl who was forced into regular oral and anal sex because her Mormon beau believed that the mouth and the butthole were less sinful orifices than the vagina. See, I feel more sins come out of the mouth than any other hole. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. The defense claimed in open court that on the day of the murder, Travis had forced Jody to drive all the way to Mesa, then had forced her to take the photos before forcing her into anal sex while she leaned over his desk, which ended in him ejaculating on her back. All said in open court. God, spicy shit. This is why I brought the beer. (laughs) (laughs) Again, juror number seven, we're going to have to take these beers from you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take them out of my cock because I already drank them. (laughs) (laughs) This is the only jury we could find. This is the only man that said that he believed Jody Arias could be innocent. The most sober man in Mesa. (laughs) Then, while she was later taking photos in the shower, at Travis's request, because he was in, quote, Peak physical condition for Cancun. (laughs) Got to memorialize it. (laughs) (laughs) The nicest thing she said about him. She acts well. He's that's what he told her. He's like, Uh, I'm in peak physical condition, babe. I'm fucking looking the best I ever look. Take some pictures of me. I got pump. I got pump before the pictures. Let me just wait. Let me do a couple sit ups. (laughs) (laughs) T dogs ready. T dogs camera ready. Let's take a look at it. Well, she said that after taking the picture, she accidentally dropped the camera, which sent Travis into an uncontrollable rage that Jody made it sound like was a common occurrence. She said he picked her up and body slammed her, and going off instinct, she claimed to have run for the gun that she said Travis kept in his closet, which just so happened to be the same type of twenty-five caliber pistol that had been stolen from her grandfather. Coincidence? Indeed. <laughs> 
She said that when she pointed the gun at Travis, she didn't mean to shoot, but the gun just went off. And that's when her memory went foggy. She said she had no memory of stabbing him almost 30 times and no memory of slicing his throat ear to ear. She said what snapped her out of the fog was the clink of the knife hitting the floor. And when she saw what she'd done, she screamed. Next thing she knew, she was driving west barefoot and covered in blood with no memory of how she got there. That, I think, is the truest thing she said so far. You can just see her talking to the jury. They'll just be like, did you know guns? They have this trigger, and if you pull it, the bullet just comes out. And all <laughs> Who like, knew that? The bullet comes out if you pull it's the trigger. Just fucking Mesa, Arizona. We all knew that. We all have guns, and the entire crowd pulls out guns. AK-47s out of a woman's babushka and shit. Now, in and of itself, this case would be interesting even without the raunchy details. But what made this case a national obsession was the wildly explicit testimony that seemed to be a daily fixture of the Jody Arias trial. In trying to establish that Travis was a deviant, Kirk Nurmi used dirty text messages in his cross-examination of Detective Flores, noting that Travis often called Jody a, quote, three-hole wonder. But he only ever called her, they used the three-hole wonder statement. A lot. But he only called her a three-hole wonder the one time. That's also, isn't that like the, isn't that the last hole in a mini golf course? (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know that. She genetically had a windmill and built in front of her pussy. No kidding. (laughs) Keeps it nice and dry. But Detective Flores fired right back, using an example of a communication Travis made in which he felt Jody was the one using him sexually, making him feel like, quote, Little more than a dildo with a heartbeat. That's where he was gaslighting her, though. There was a period of time where you can see in these emails, he does obviously lead her on. Like, he keeps engaging and engaging, even though she, as we said last episode, she's a habitual fucking line stepper. She keeps doing all of this fucked up shit. He also keeps going back. He's sending late night sex. He's saying all of this stuff about how you're God's perfect whore. I'm going to use you like the the, the genetically built slut that you are. And she's going, I'm going to go, I can't wait to see you tonight. And you're going to shoot a fat, juicy load all over my face. Do you promise? And he's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, there's nothing wrong with sexting someone you're, you're having sex with every now and again. But the thing is, is that she was doing all of this other fucked up behavior, like breaking into his Facebook, slashing his tires, breaking into his house, stealing money, doing all of this bullshit. But apparently one weird thing that I didn't know was that Travis actually had a lot less money than he thought he is. He'd lost a bunch of money. Yeah, and was, yeah. b- was actually borrowing some money from Jody too that she was kind of holding over him because at first he was bankrolling her and then she had to give him some money and then as soon as she started giving him money, that's when things started getting like dark. Yeah, sounds like he's in a very abusive relationship. Yeah, it was all fucked up. Well, during the trial, they even got into Travis's sexual history with other women, bringing in the Kevin Costner-loving ex-girlfriend to admit that her claim that Travis was a sex maniac came from her own childlike understanding of how and why a penis became tumescent. Because you had Juan Martinez up there going, it's like, now, did you, you didn't understand how a penis becomes a, a, a tumescent, uh, gets big, gets, gets real big. big. Gets, gets big. big. Gets big. <laughs> yeah, and tiny and turny, because it's like, imagine me. Imagine my penis was about half as tall as I am. So looking at a foot and a half. <laughs> uh-huh. And, and, she, and then she went, it does get big. 
It does, and it's like a rageful big. What I don't like about a penis is that why can't it just be small? Why can't? Why does it <laughs> oh always have goodness. to get so big? And you're like, sometimes it doesn't get that big. These people are uh, very immature in many ways. It seems. Oh well, they live in the Mormon bubble. You know, yeah, of course. It, like I've, that's something that uh, is very, very real. That a lot of these Mormons live in kind of a, they live in a world outside of the one that we live in. You know, right. it's very, it's very innocent. It's very safe, uh, but it's not, it's not real. <laughs> air quotes, air quotes, because that's the problem. Is that what you find out is that when you create a constant fake exterior of bland normalcy that often serves as a smokescreen for abuse and all of this other bullshit within the world of the Mormon community. So that's the, the, the lack of sex education within the community becomes weaponized. If there's a way for it to do, because then what you do is when you have people that are willfully manipulating the rules on their own because they maybe have higher standings within the church. You look at these, this poor woman thought that she thought that Travis could just make his hard penis go away. I heard it was yeah. full of Skittles. <laughs> oh, taste the rainbow. Ooh. The piece de resistance of the whole trial, though, was the fact that Jody Arias herself testified in her own defense, which rarely happens even in trials dealing with much smaller offenses, much less trials involving a fucking capital murder charge. You never Damn. put a capital murder suspect on, her, on the fucking stand. You're putting a murderer... In a chair in front of everybody, and then you wonder, and you wonder what how it's going to work out. An accused murderer, but (laughs) she was already saying she did it. Yeah, the defense was that she was a murderer, but she murdered for good reason. Big if true. Did she drop any of that? (laughs) She did. You got to drop some big if true. She did do that. Well, that's big if true. Yeah, Yeah. was she? It is true. Yeah, <laughs> that's why it's big. Are we still talking about boners? I have to go. I hate the word to mess it. Oh, I hate it. it. Oh no, my magic underwears are getting all wet. <laughs> well, Jody insisted that she had to tell her story her way, so she spent a nearly unprecedented eighteen days on the stand. smearing Travis and listing every sexual thing they ever did while framing all of it in the most criminal light possible. Just the constant cuts to Travis Alexander's parents as they just try to be stone-faced. As she's like, and that was the second time we had anal sex. And I knew that he enjoyed it because of his groans and his grunts on me. And then some of his ejaculations were just, the only way I would describe it were just so ropey that I felt like I was a toaster strudel. Yeah. Well, I'm just so happy you're taking the stand there, Jody. Um, Juror number seven, can you stop masturbating, please? Oh, I'm sorry. I was just (laughs) listening. Thank you. But what I loved was she has her whole beginning layout where Kirk Nurmi and her are telling her whole story. Then Juan Martinez comes out, tiny lawyer, so upset. The first thing he does is he shows a picture and he's just like, let me, uh, let me ask you, Miss Arias, um, is this a picture of you and your dumb sister? And she's like, <laughs> what? And she's like, your dumb sister. And she's like, what, what are you saying to me? You yourself, you categorized your own sister as dumb, didn't you? In this email where you said, oh, I'm off doing this trip with my dumb sister. So wouldn't you concur Jesus that Christ. this is your dumb sister? He comes in fucking hard and she is, but she's, she's the most obnoxious person. I just what about what, what about the sister that's just sitting there? I don't 
firmly understand how people can sit. Like, I feel so bad for Travis's parents. Yeah. I don't think that I could sit there. I really, like, you watch try those to videos. Watch it. You should try to sit and watch. I watched some of it on Watching YouTube. three hours total, I was like, my eyeballs are going to fall out of my fucking head. I don't see how, I mean, you see those videos sometimes, especially if, like, a, a pedophile or something is being charged and the parents are there. Like, I... I get it when they jump over the fucking oh, shit I would flip and out. start like going nuts. Yeah, and, like, I flip out. It, I don't know if I could. Honestly, I don't think I could sit there for 18 days and watch this chick who I know killed my, my son. I no, I'd flip out. Well, the story Jody told was that she'd been put upon sexually from the very beginning. From the moment Travis met her at a Starbucks, gave her a copy of the Book of Mormon, and followed it up with a request for oral sex. Damn. In her version of the relationship, Travis forced her into anal sex the day of her baptism because only traditional intercourse was a sin. Which we've learned that is not true. Apparently not. After that, it was sex on the hood of the car, sex with Travis while he wore designer suits, and sex with Jody dressed as a schoolgirl. All of which probably happened. Sure. But she's painting it in this light of, he made me do it. He made me do all this. Then there were the text messages Travis sent, like this one. Quote, You'll rejoice in being a whore. That sole purpose in life is to be mine, to have animalistic sex with. And to please me in any way I desire. Yeah, can we have sex like lemurs? <laughs> I've always wanted to have sex like a lemur. How do they have sex? <laughs> well, the weirdest thing they did was when Travis used one of those big-ass Tootsie Rolls as a dildo until it melted into Jody's vagina. No, that, that is, is going to cause some any, medical condition. You put any sugar into pussy. Oh, my goodness. And that happened. It came up during the recorded phone sex conversation where he's like, remember when I used the Tootsie Roll on you? Just cut to his roommates, just be like, man, your Tootsie Roll tastes a little weird, man. Like, what, what the hell's going on here? Honestly, I love these new Tootsie Rolls. <laughs> I love them so much. There's something familiar about them. <laughs> yeah? But the interesting thing about that taped phone conversation is that both sides used it to bolster their arguments. The defense used it as an example of Travis's deviance, particularly his statements that Jody sounded like a 12-year-old girl having her first orgasm, in addition to his fantasy of tying her to a tree and, quote, putting it in her ass all the way. Now, I will say, when he, after he came, when we had to listen to that entire sex tape, right? Yeah. When you're sitting in court, and you do listen to it, and you hear her going, oi, 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 and like super fake orgasm, and you hear him go, Dah! right? And he finally, he finally shoots it. And when he says, oh, you sounded like a 12-year-old girl having her first orgasm. I know that that's really very disgusting. Yes, And it's very, very bad. But it does sound like she was building this fantasy from within and that they were going back and forth with the shit and then she just happened to record this com- this fucking conversation uh. in order a way to bury his ass on on some level like uh, she yeah. cuz okay. she was already threatening to release the tapes I see. yeah cuz the prosecution pointed towards Jody Jody's reactions which were time and again super horny like everything that he said she reacted very positively to Right. But she did, however, admit that she faked the orgasms, claiming that she needed two hands to make herself scoosh, and she couldn't have done it while she was holding the phone. Speakerphone. That said no speakerphone. She said no speakerphone, Kissel. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay. But she she couldn't just make her scoosh. No, I know. She could have just used speakerphone. She didn't, though. Okay, well, 
That's her fault. It though. sounded like she was just trying to get him on tape saying something disgusting so she could use it against him and embarrass him. Okay. Now, all of this is, of course, terribly embarrassing and goofy. But the vast majority of sex had by most people is embarrassing and goofy when looked at from the outside, which is exactly why sex is usually a private and vulnerable affair. I never want to hear any recording of the words I make before I ejaculate. No. I don't want to ever hear what those words are because it's just going, me, mine, my, oh, you, yummy, yummy. Like, I don't want to hear that, any of that Really? Shit. That's what you do? I don't know what I say. I black out. Uh-huh. <laughs> but Jody took that vulnerability that Travis had showed in being goofy and embarrassing, and she used it for evil purpose, calling him not only deviant, but physically abusive as well, further claiming that he at times body slammed her, kicked her, and broke her finger. Now, Kirk Nermy did try as hard as he could to get the pedophile letters admitted, but they were so obviously fake that the National Enquirer, the trashiest paper in the world, uh-huh. didn't take the bait when the letters were leaked. Are you kidding? The National Enquirer didn't do this? They put on the front page that Ted Cruz's father killed Kennedy. (laughs) And they didn't take this? Responsible journalists. Well, someone had to tell the truth for once. Well, instead of running a headline about Jody's pedophile nightmare, they ran the truth that Jody had desperately tried to paint her former lover as a pedophile in an attempt to scam her freedom. Wow. And of course, when the pedophile letters weren't admitted, Jody couldn't help but make up a story on the stand about walking in on Travis masturbating to a picture of a little boy wearing only underwear. Although it was obvious by this point that nobody was buying her line of bullshit. Well, especially because tiny attorney Juan Martinez, when he was going through her journal, he showed that on that day that this big, huge thing that was the worst thing she'd ever experienced and she didn't ever recover for. There was a text conversation that was incredibly boring about them trading cars. So this is, again, they've been broken up for years and they were broken up for almost a year. And she was still like getting rides from him. and, And it was this really mundane like exchange where it's like, but I thought I was going to pick you up. Uh, nah, I just going to have a car and you made me use a good work. Uh, Augusta just got my body's calm. And then it was a journal entry that said, literally nothing of note today. I had to refuse four dates from men. that, And so it never said anything about this bombshell. I caught Travis masturbating to pictures yeah. of little boys. You'd think she would mention that if she mentions every little detail. Well, especially because after she died, she had put fake entries in her own diary as mm-hmm. evidence she had already put like, in the moments that when she died she wrote an entry like like with the email and the voicemail that was like i hope travis and i can work it out one day she is i know that the, it, it is this whole yeah. like fantasy that she was like i wonder where travis has been i haven't seen him in a couple of days and it's not like travis to not answer my text i'm thinking this this chick is crazy that's what i'm i'm starting to think she's nuts <laughs> I'm starting to think this chick is a little bit crazy. I just want to interview whoever you date next. <laughs> I legitimately just want to interview him. We this should all be able crazy. to sit in a room yeah. with that person and deal with, and no, just, you, just see. You, I want to cross-examine. No, I'll, the next, if I ever start dating again, I'll make sure that you have to come on the date with me first. Yeah, and my I'll dad. sit there and I'll have a briefcase chained to like a handcuff to my list. You won't know what it is. And I'll say it's my documents. Uh-huh. And then I'm going to put a sensor on her fingertip to see where her blood pressure goes. Very good. 
But even though no one was buying the pedophile line, Nermi continued to reach to the point where he made perfectly innocent YouTube videos sound dirty by saying the title of the video out of context. For example, Travis loved two videos in particular called Daft Hands Double Speed Faster Better and Drunk Daft Punk Hard Body Faster Stronger. Yep, pedophile. That, that, <laughs> pedophile. I don't think that that proves it, but okay. Now, taken out of context, these videos can sound weird and scary to a bunch of squares sitting on an Arizona jury, especially in 2008 when YouTube was not the ubiquitous media giant that it is now. Right. But in reality, these were just a bunch of videos from an innocent early YouTube fad in which people wrote the lyrics to Daft Punk's Harder, Better, Faster, Stronger on their bodies and displayed the lyrics to match the singing. It's, oh, like wow. fun, it's fun hand stuff. Yeah, it's just totally fine. I completely remember that too. Like, yeah, it is, sounds dumb. It's no, I mean, I remember. It's, it was kind of cool. It's creative, but it's yeah. one of those like little YouTube holes that you watch yeah. in order to go to sleep. It's like me with just watching my same Norm Macdonald and Bill Burr clips that I watch in order <laughs> to go to sleep when I'm in hotel rooms. Yeah, but Kirk Nermy made it sound like, look at the deviant things that this man looks at on his man. free time. I really, I love, I obviously love defense attorneys, but some. It's just it's it's it can get pretty nasty. Well, it's a little when this man is this man is obviously a huge victim here. He didn't know what the hell to do. Like right. Kirk Dermy was obviously kind of painted into a corner, according to him, and he was saying he was trying to get out the whole time. Right? But who right. fucking knows? Now, Juan Martinez's cross examination of Jody was, of course, a goddamn shooting gallery, which is why you never ever put your defendant on the stand no matter what because any halfway competent prosecutor is going to fucking eviscerate him and jody tried her best to elicit sympathy from the jury crying at all the appropriate moments in an attempt to make the tiny attorney appear as if he was a mischievous gnome haranguing an abused woman don't subtweet my relationship with my wife Well, it's, I always like when I always like my prosecutors to dress like the lead singer of the Cars. I think that's great. Oh no, you mean talking heads? Talking heads. You mean talking yes, heads? Yes, I'm Rick sorry. Kasich was, Rick Ocasek was a very well dressed yes. man. I like I like my prosecutor to dress like the lead singer of Talking Heads. Multiple Talking Heads. It's weird that I knew what you were talking about, though. Yeah, well, but he just goes at her, and she is. She is one person when Wormy Nermy is in front of her. And you also know she shifts the bangs for the mm-hmm. trial, which helps her hide. And it's, I really is do it like it. over the top with Sylvester Stallone when he takes his hat and he puts it backwards and it's then he's exactly, ready to arm wrestle? It's exactly yeah. the same. Oh, my goodness. She's had the bangs on, which are like little drapes. with so, And it covers up whatever is going on behind the eyes or what she's going to do. She does the same hand over the face going. <laughs> Every single time that he says something that's remotely t- too over the line for her. But with Kirk Nermy... She is open and effusive, taking minutes, 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 explaining everything, speaking, speaking, speaking. With Juan Martinez, she's very, um, budges on nothing. Yeah. Parcels over every fucking word. Fights it and doesn't look at him directly ever. She only looks directly to the audience, directly to the jury. And then when he refers to her, she stares at the table so that she would never make eye contact with him. So she could do, she was... She thought that the performance was going to help. And I think if maybe she was just on the stand for one or two days, it might have held 
something. I might have done something. Right. But then you start seeing the tactics again and again. Every single time he got her in a corner, she'd get frustrated and you see a flash. You just see this fucking rage. Yeah. That's the, that's the stabby Jody that we all know. Yes. Yeah. I just feel so bad for the family of Travis and just sitting in this courtroom, 18 fucking days of watching this chick who you know killed your killed your son or your brother or whatever. I just, I don't know how they can do that. that that's, it's hard. It's so horrible. Yeah. And then not to mention literally just it being trampled all over, your son being trampled all over by media 24-7 who are making millions of dollars off it, not to be hypocritical because that's our, <laughs> we do a true crime show. Yes. But like the way that the media covered it was just fucking well, you know, disgusting. It's salacious and they were into it and people wanted it and especially after Casey Anthony. So this was after her trial. So I think that I'm almost certain that Jody was watching her trial from jail yeah. and was trying to mirror the same tactics that she did. Jesus, that's so it's it's like uh yeah, it's the 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 little world of celebrity serial killers where they get petty and they don't like one another. Like doesn't who hates like everyone like hated Bundy or something like that? Like I no, would that's pay Manson. 10, Manson called Bundy a poop butt. A rump yeah. butt. Manson <laughs> called he's a poop butt. Meanwhile, Manson is just talking to Sirhan Sirhan about what they're having for lunch and this they're like guy's cool. Same. You know what I like about him is that he doesn't like Salisbury steak, so I get extra Salisbury steak on Thursdays. <laughs> when Jody would cry on the stand Especially when Juan Martinez was ramping up to the big finish, he flipped it on her. And he asked her, were you crying when you shot Travis? Were you crying when you stabbed Travis? And were you, in fact, the person who slit Mr. Alexander's throat from ear to ear? Well, yes, I was crying when I stabbed Travis. Oh, damn it. Oh, Oh, damn it. Oh, damn it. And when Jody had no choice but to say, yes, I was the person who slit his throat from ear to ear... The whole thing fell apart because the whole thing hinged on whether the jury believed Jody, believed you know it, it, whether or right. not she had credibility. Because all of the evidence pointed towards towards her premeditatively killing this man. And also, Ugh. it's just the most boring shit in the world is really what ended up turning the tide as well. Was all of this shit about the gas cans? Yes, the about gas cans were huge. All of this gas can bullshit about whether or not she had purchased three gas cans or do it because she was saying, I always take gas cans because I, I try to get the cheaper gas from California. That's why I had them. And not because I wasn't trying to not get a receipt from all these places. But then, um, Judge, point of contention, when they say gas can, are they talking about my butthole? <laughs> Sir, but no, Juan Martinez then had to go through all his receipts and do all his math and all his gas math and just gets to a point where it's like gas math. Fucking that's, a, that's a rough day. Rough day for the juror. Juror yeah. number seven, uh, you have to wake up. We're doing gas math. Yeah, I tell you what, you did some gas fucking calculus in the bathroom of the studio <laughs> in our little break that we just took. <laughs> well, the whole thing, yeah. I mean, it, it's it, it it does show how boring most trials are because when you re- go online and check out the the articles from a legal perspective, you know, this one article described the gas can as Juan Martinez's Perry Mason moment. Like yeah, this is the, like, like it's like the Perry. It's, they said that is a direct quote. This is his Perry Mason moment. But all it is is he's proving that she bought a third gas can. But to them, this is huge because it works towards her credibility. And yeah. if her credibility shot, then none of it's true. And that's when the jury turns on her. Okay. And it cuts to the jury, and jury number seven has those like ping pong balls, like painted like eyeballs, like glued <laughs> to the front of his lids while he's just sitting in a chair. <laughs> we know he's sleeping, but it's better off if he does. It's kind of funny. I like that he does it. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, what's weird? I didn't know this. This is something that's like specific to Arizona. The jury actually has the chance to ask questions directly to the defendant. No kidding. Yeah. And among reasonable questions, such as like, you know, why did you put the camera in the washing machine? The court also allowed a few that were more abstract, like, do you consider yourself a pathological liar? And one that I was very surprised the judge allowed, what is your understanding of the word skank? I believe it is a dance one does to ska. It is indeed. I want to thank Ian Finance, our friend, who is reminding me ska exists every day. Every day. (laughs) During closing arguments, though, none of that shit mattered. Four months after it began, Juan Martinez laid out all the holes in Jody's case while Jody put her head down, ignored the whole thing, and doodled. Oh, my God. Kirk Nermy, on the other hand, reading the room, said in his closing arguments that the trial wasn't about whether or not you like Jody Arias. Because nine days out of ten, he didn't like Jody Arias. Damn. What, what about the one day he does? What day does he wake up and I'm like... She's kind of cool. She's kind of nice. <laughs> She's kind of cool. No, he was being um kind because according to his bullshit, he hated the entire time because one thing that she'd do is that she requested, unlike any other any other client he'd ever had, she would do two-hour meetings. He's like, normally this shit lasts for half an hour because it costs money. The right. people, I go in there and I have to schedule two hours with her because she talks about everything else but the but the murder and she needed to be coddled every single way she talked about drama with her mom she talked about how she couldn't get things from the commissary couldn't do all this fucking bullshit and he was gonna Ugh. pull his fucking hair out jeez Ugh. so he became the boyfriend he became the boyfriend oh lucky guy in the end though he said all that mattered is if you believe the murder was in self-defense and if anything jody arias was guilty of manslaughter and nothing more he's already setting himself up in his closing arguments to lose he's like yeah okay yeah, yeah i get it she's guilty of manslaughter so the, the if very anything it's just yeah it's just manslaughter it's <laughs> you know, a manslaughter people do it all the time people men do. get slaughtered every day every day they get slaughtered you eat you eat a chicken sandwich you know what that chicken was slaughtered slaughter. Think about that's a chicken it. slaughter yeah, a chicken right? slaughter. you just committed first degree chicken slaughter right buddy <laughs> who cares after just 15 hours of deliberation the jury disagreed with Kirk Nurmi's assessment and voted Jody Arias guilty of first-degree murder. Now, during the sentencing phase, which decided whether Jody got the death penalty or life in prison, she gave a strange 19-minute statement in which she said she was sorry for killing Travis and that she planned to start a recycling program and a book club in prison, all while donating her hair to cancer victims. That's huge. That's I so, mean, and all it's huge. Th- thank you for the hair. Thank you it's for a, the hair. I mean, it's the start of a horror movie when you have cancer, and then you end up with Jodi Arias' hair, hair, and then you hair. kill everybody, oh, and then... Oh, shit. Um, I didn't kill her. The wig did. The wig didn't. <laughs> but also, you forget, 20 minutes after she was convicted, 20 minutes... She walked right in front of a camera. And if you watch the interview from when she was murdered, when she was first arrested, and then watch the interview after she is convicted, it is fucking wild. Did she feel good? 
It's it's or weird. Like a like a weight was uh, off no, of her shoulder. No, absolutely not. She was trying to be on the stump again, but you can actually see it's something else. It's something about the attention, and it's something outside of the trial because then she gets to go, and these people are fawning over her again. She's not getting torn apart by Juan Martinez. She's not looking at the dead-eyed twelve juries jurors that fucking hate her. Right. She's not dealing with the defense attorney that hates her. She's not dealing with the judge sick of her shit and looking at all the murderers' families. She gets to sit in front of her a softball reporter after you just got convicted who's like are you sorry and she's just like sorry is a word that's got five letters you know what else has five letters is shame and you know what else is five letters is glory and you know what else has five letters donut you know what else is five letters five letters knife whoa whoa we actually did a lot of five letter words right there blood blood well, during her sentencing hearing, after she talked about the book club and the recycling program and the hair, she doubled down on the claim that she was a victim of domestic violence, but went a little too far by showing off her charity merch. Oh, my God. Which was a T-shirt with the word survivor printed on front that she brought to the sentencing trial and showed and said, these are for sale. Check out lastpodcastmerch.com. There's so there's so many opportunities <laughs> to wear our merch at trial, at court, while Jeez. serving jury. Even if you're the judge, wear the shirt under your robe. This is disgusting. She is so freaking nasty, but she can't benefit uh, financially. Like, she can't no, sell these it's, shirts. It's for charity. That's it's what she charity. keeps saying is that it's for charity. But it's a way to insert herself into the victim uh, category. Even right. further, without saying I'm a victim, said like I'm supporting victims, but sure, I'm also sure. a victim. Right. Now, perhaps not surprisingly, considering Jody's race, gender, and relative attractiveness, the jury was deadlocked with eight voting for death and four voting for life in prison. So, per Arizona law, the judge declared a mistrial concerning sentencing, and the prosecution got a do-over. The second time, the jury was deadlocked again, eleven to one. And in Arizona, if two capital murder juries in a row are deadlocked, the death penalty is taken off the table. So Jody Arias Mm. was sentenced to life in prison without parole. And that's the power of tits. (laughs) (laughs) The power of tits. Wow. As far as the other players in the story go, Juan Martinez damn near put the whole conviction in jeopardy by proving himself to be a real piece of shit. Yeah, it turns out Tiny Attorney is a bit of a handsy attorney. Oh, good God. Last year, Martinez was disbarred amidst a flurry of credible sexual harassment claims, and that came in addition to an admission that he had had an affair with a blogger who was covering the Arias case, and he had leaked information to said blog. So he was going with the um, turtle defense. He was just trying to become... so. He wanted the suit to be so big he could just hide in it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Jody, on the other hand, has lost appeal after appeal. And it's most likely that we'll be getting Where Is She Now news pieces on Jody Arias every five years until either she or we die. Oh, goodness. (laughs) God damn it, Marcus. Why did you... 
What happened to you this week? That's how you want to end this? Do you just you want to end this whole episode on the word die? Yeah, we will just continue to exist and exist until one day that we fade out and face the unending blackness of the grave. Die. It's true. Because honestly, it's true. It's completely well, true. it is true. And again, not to beat a dead horse here, but um, uh, the heart goes out to the family of Travis. Yeah. That sucks. This whole trial, this whole media uh, charade, that just must have been freaking brutal. And I don't think that they've talked at all, right? I couldn't find anything on YouTube in my no. eight searches that I did. What? Uh, 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 Travis's parents. Oh no, they, we've they, they I've never seen them do yeah. an interview. So they were very private. Yeah. I don't think, I think that, they were just devastated. I mean, yeah. everybody was. It's really. It's like it's just a horrible, horrible mess. Travis yes. Alexander never should have hurt her and never should have gaslit her and let her on. But that's no excuse ever to stab. So the man's throwing a shoot in the head. It's yeah, just not a really even, excuse. But he, you just, if you're in a toxic situation. You just got to find a way out. I don't know how you say that. I don't know how to be like, how do you get your friends? Like, I think we've said this before. Like, if your friends are, if your friend is in one of these situations, you got to try to get them out. They tried. They told them not to victim blame whatsoever. They didn't really. They didn't really, though. No. They, they all, everybody belittled the entire situation because, and a thing well, of, a lot of it's got to do with the weird Mormonism, like, yeah. thought patterns. It's so much easier not to kill someone. Like, Man. I don't know. Like, yeah, I think, all you have to do is not kill all, I think the friends were just like, yeah, it's just, why would, it is out of, uh, it's most likely not going to happen to anyone that we know. And so I don't think the friends would even comprehend that it could happen. And then. I don't know. Who knows? Anyway. Honestly, I could see it happening to several, several of my friends. I could see no that. No one's getting, no one's dying. We made a rule. No dying for a decade. A yeah, yeah. No yeah. one's allowed to die for a decade. Any and, one of us. And we're one more. Yeah, that was made last year. So nine more years, we have to stay alive. All right. By by rule. All right. Um, and that includes everyone who's listening. Thank you all so much for listening to the series on Jody Arias. I know she was covered a lot in media, but I think that we learned a lot of new details and a lot of interesting things. Yeah. Good. You know, by yes. the law of averages, one of our listeners will not survive this week. I Jesus don't want Christ. you to talk anymore now. It's, it's actually weird. I, you are actually now, you are in free speech jail just for being sad. Hey, welcome, man. We're bunkmates. Yeah. You guys are bunkmates. Look, I wrote a jur- I'm lonely. I don't have any friends anymore, but. I, I wrote a journal of my own shit, Marcus. <laughs> Hell yeah. Marcus is just scratching the word die into his arm. All right. No, it's Thank- death. It's not die. It's death. It's an obsession with death that has developed this year. Cool. That's just so healthy, Marcus. Hey, I mean, um, at least he's saying it out loud. At least he is. That matters. Um, all right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for listening. Hope you're hanging in there. Uh, it does seem weird to plug merch at this point. So I already did it. You so, already, yeah, did already did it. Did it in a perfect, perfectly placed yep. position. Um, so thank you all so much for listening. Hope everyone is uh, hanging in there and surviving the best you can. We shall get through this, and we will be on the road in Omaha. Don't you this next this. Sunday, we are playing this. the street corner. One day at a time, sweet Jesus, that's all I'm asking of you. Oh, you're better than Jody Arias. We got to get through this one day at a time. So Hail yourselves, everyone. Hail Satan. Hail Dean. Magustalations. Give a hell me if you can afford it. They can afford it. We've got an extra hell inside here. The nice thing about hailing someone is it's free to do. It is. Unless unless we finally copyright it. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately. No, we're never going to do that. No, I think the word hail has been copyrighted by uh, a whole other group of people. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's with an E. (laughs) 
This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It says here I have to talk about something I need to get off my chest, and I guess I can share it here. I eat mayonnaise for fun. It's a hobby of mine, and it's an addiction, and it's a daily weight on my life. How much I need whipped egg whites and oil crammed into my veins as soon as I wake up. And a lot of people carry around a lot of different stressors, big and small. Some people are presidents. Some people are soldiers. Some people have to eat mayonnaise, especially with hard-boiled eggs which is what I eat for lunch. But I guess I should share that in therapy. Because therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And what I do is I just add eggs if I have mayonnaise left over. I just continue to add the eggs. But if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I hope they can help me. My God. I hope they can help me. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LastPod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp! H-E-L-P dot com slash LastPod.